Augustinian order under direct papal authority devoted to furthering papal interests. One of the most powerful cardinals of the Roman Curia, Cardinal Riccardo Anibaldi, presided at the planning meetings and became the Augustinian's official mentor and papal liaison. He granted Santa Maria del Popolo to the new Augustinians as their base in Rome. Franciscan monks had been living in the convent since it was built, but ignoring their protests, Anibaldi moved the Franciscans out so the Augustinians could move in. The first prior came from Milan, connecting the new order in Rome with its Lombard roots. It was in Milan that Augustine had converted to Christianity in the 4th century. 250 years after the Augustinians moved into Santa Maria del Popolo, the church had fallen into a sad state of repair. As had all of Rome during the difficult years of the fourteenth and first half of the fifteenth centuries. The papacy, under the influence of the French king, had packed up and moved to Avignon. Years of schism followed, and Rome decayed, corrupted and terrorized by the lawlessness of a few powerful families. Poverty, famine, and plague added to the burden. But the return to Rome of the papacy in 1420 gradually brought about the rebirth of the city. A series of Renaissance popes, while not generally known for their spirituality, were politically powerful and cultured, and under their influence a new Rome emerged from the rubble. Artists and architects flocked to the city from all over Italy. Cardinal Francesco della Rovere was elected to the papacy in 1471, in part due to his reputation for scholarship, and in part as a result of a concerted bribery campaign. He took the name Sixtus. Sixtus IV ordered that Santa Maria del Popolo be rebuilt at his personal expense. I suspect it was the prominent location of the church that excited Sixtus's generosity. As we'll see, Santa Maria del Popolo became something of a curial mausoleum as various members of the Della Rovere family chose it for their own entombment and extended the honor to select political allies as well. It was but one of many projects that Sixtus undertook as he continued the urban development that his predecessors had started. He had new streets laid down, and existing ones widened and paved. He had the sewers cleaned and updated, and old houses demolished. He built a hospital for orphans and the poor. He constructed a bridge, the Ponte Sisto, over the Tiber. He built libraries and chapels. If you've ever wondered about the name of the Sistine Chapel, you now know— he was named after Sixtus IV. In 1472, Sixtus remanded the dilapidated and virtually abandoned church and convent to an Augustinian congregation from Lombardy, and they oversaw the rebuilding, which introduced distinct elements of Lombard style to Rome. The Lombard flavor is a direct outcome of the fact that the primary architect was Andrea Bregno, who came from a family of sculptors at Como. I'll talk in a few minutes about what defines the Lombard style and how it differs from the Romanesque. Little more than two decades after Bregno's work was complete, his plan was somewhat modified. This was done on orders from another della Rovere pope, Julius II, who was Sixtus IV's nephew. In the first decade of the 1500s, Julius had Bramante extend the choir, and this redesign is what still exists today. I'll discuss Bramante's choir when we're actually there. I'll point out examples of Bregno's work as we go along, and we'll see several decorative renderings of the oak tree 
of the Della Rovere family coat of arms. For part of the year 1511, Pope Julius was out of town, battling enemies near Bologna, and incidentally ignoring Michelangelo's pleas for at least partial payment for his work on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Meanwhile, there was lots of activity at Santa Maria del Popolo. Raphael had started work on the Chigi Chapel when two Augustinian monks came from Germany to present a petition to the head of the order, who resided in Rome. Upon arrival inside the Porta Flaminia, the younger of the two fell to his knees, kissed the ground, and shouted, "'Blessed art thou, holy Rome!' It was Martin Luther, aged twenty-seven. The two monks learned that the man they sought was with the Pope in Bologna, so they lodged at Santa Maria del Popolo to await his return. Luther's joy quickly turned to dismay, and he soon came to hate everything about the city, what he viewed as the ignorance in